It's the VAR podcast with the man himself, Ronnie. Yo gang, what's good? It's your man Ronnie and I'm back with another episode of the Waviest Football Podcast out right now. It's the VAR podcast and I hope all my listeners are good, you get me? Stay safe, wash your hands, you get me? Coronavirus is still out there fam, still real, still living, you get me? So man, you gotta wash your hands, man, Them, you gotta wash your hands and keep safe. So now I'm just going to delve in, you get me, less of the intros, man, just going to delve in and discuss the issues that happened in it. A lot of stuff went down in the world of football this past week. So in the Bundesliga, um, on last week, Tuesday, I think, Bayern won the title with a 1-0 win against Werder Bremen in it. Um, get me, they won 1-0, they clinched their 8th consecutive league title. Um, so Germany's basically done and dusted in it. Um, you get me. Dortmund also lost. Um, they lost two 0 fam. And fam, that performance was shocking, fam. Everybody from the keeper to the striker, you get me. Absolutely shocking, fam. You can tell, yeah, those men have nothing to play for, fam. Like it was just abysmal, in it. Like it's one of them ones where you can tell, like those men need a holiday. Those men. Just need to get out of there, innit? They don't want to play football anymore. You can tell, innit? Because it's one of them ones where Dortmund have already secured Champions League football. So, their worst position is going to be fourth, innit? And fam, they might as well... The way they were playing, they might as well have prepared for Oktoberfest. It would have been better, fam. You get me? It would have been better than stepping on that pitch. You know, them way there. You know what I'm saying? So, it's one of them ones where Dortmund were just shocking, innit? And those men just need a holiday, fam. So that's why I'm saying in it, Germany's league is done and dusted out here. So for me, I'm not going to discuss the German league again in the following podcast, in the following episodes, in it, because it's just basically done. There are two le- two matches left, but man's not going to discuss that because if I do, the only excitement y'all going to get out of it is me talking about relegation for that, and man's not going to do that. You get me? So. Yeah, like I said, I'll give my end of season awards. You get me? Um, so, best rookie, the Bundesliga had a list where they were going to choose the best youngsters. And it had a host of household names in it. From Erling Haaland, Jaden Sancho. It had Marcus Thuram. He's at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Very good player. It had um, Alfonso Davies, who is the eventual winner. You get me? And he secured the Bundesliga Rookie of the Year in it. Um, he's been doing bits at Bayern Munich, so it's one of them ones where it's deserved in it. So obviously, I'm just gonna go and choose my pick. You get me for the Coach of the Year that hasn't really been decided yet. Man's gonna choose Marco Rose. You get me at Borussia Mönchengladbach. It was one of them ones where it was between Marco Rose and. Julian Nagelsmann, you get me, he's at Leipzig and he's doing a massive job over there. So it's just one of them ones where Marco Rose, you get me, tactic, tactically-wise, yeah, you get me, top of the charts in it. Man has implemented, you get me, the Gingen pressing that Klopp was using at Dortmund and carried into Liverpool, you get me, and infused it with the counter-attacking style, you get me, different tactics, different source, you get me, different level of source from that coach. 
get me? Um, he had Borussia Mönchengladbach flying, you get me, at the start of the Bundesliga, you get me? But it's one of them ones where, you get me, Bayern is Bayern, you get me? Shout out Drake for that voice, because you man already know that when it comes to Bundesliga, it is what it is. No matter what, Bayern are always going to secure that title fan. So basically, let's move on. And I'm just going to pick my Bundesliga 11 of the season. I have Manuel Neuer. You get me? He's kept 14 clean sheets, which is a league high. Um, it's a bit cliche to pick Manuel Neuer, but he's been genuinely the best keeper in the Bundesliga. Um, obviously, he's not been the Manuel Neuer of before, but he's still been very good. And it's been closer between him and his peers, but... He's still being the best keeper in the Bundesliga, in it. For the left-back position, I'll have my boy Alfonso Davis. Um, he's been brilliant this season. He's completed the most successful dribbles of any player in the Bundesliga. And his versatility is key because he's even played up front before for them, in it. He's played up front for Bayern before and he has lightning pace, you get me, which enables him to track back when he's caught out of position. That happened in the Classica. We saw that Haaland had a chance. And he was through a goal. And out of nowhere, Davis came and stopped him in his tracks. And Haaland is no slouch in it. Haaland is not that slow. So it means that Davis had to be very fast to be able to catch up with him. Um, for the centre-back, I'll have Dio Upovencano, you get me? He's been rock solid at Leipzig. Rock solid defender um, at the heart of the Leipzig defence. Um, for the other centre-back position, I'll have Matt Hummels. Um, he's been excellent for Dortmund. He's really good passing the ball out of the back. Um, he's been brilliant for Dortmund. At the right back position, I'll have Ashraf Hakimi. He's got the most assists as a defender in the Bundesliga. Fam, I don't I don't even rate him as a defender, fam. The way he links up with Jaden Sancho and the other attacking players in the Dortmund setup. Like he's been on fire for Dortmund and he's won the most possession in duels that are on the ground so he's took the most possession when people are competing for possession on the ground you get me there's aerial duels and there's duels that will occur on the ground and Hakimi has won the most possession out of those duels on the ground of any player in the Bundesliga so that shows you the level that he's at um in the midfield um I'll have um I'm, it's a 4-4-2 thing by the way so in the midfield I'll have Joshua Kimmich in the central midfield role. He's completed the most passes in the opposition half and he's been an integral part of Bayern winning the title. Um, in the other central midfielder, I'd have Kai Havertz. He's been excellent for Bayer Leverkusen. His form was a bit patchy in the first half of the season, but he's been scintillating in the second half. In 19 games that he's played in the second half of the season, he scored 13 goals and provided 8 assists, which means it's a goal or assist probably every 81 minutes, man. And he's only 20 years old. It's absolutely amazing the ability this brother has got. He's brilliant, absolutely world-class. You might get me put respect on his name. Um, on the wing, I'll have my man Jaden Sancho. Get me his number speak for himself. Um, he's got 33 goals or assists in the Bundesliga. Um, he's got 17 goals, 16 assists. Um, and Lionel Messi has 35, you get me, which puts into perspective the level that Sancho is at. It's at a world-class level that he's at right now. And he's attempted the most dribbles 
and he's got the third most successful dribbles in the Bundesliga. So it shows you the output that Sancho is providing on the field. Um, obviously, on the wing, I'll have Thomas Muller. Get me, I had to shunt him to the wing a bit because um, of the other players that were there in the central midfield or in the number 10 role and that. So I had to shunt him onto the wing a bit. Um, he's been absolutely amazing in it for Bayern. He's provided a league high 20 assists. You get me, probably the top assist man in Europe. 20 assists in just 24 starts. That is absolutely ridiculous. Um, in the striker position, um, I'll have Lewandowski. Obviously, everyone knows what Lewandowski's done. His track record, um, he scored 33 goals this season. So that is a massive, massive amount of goals. Blind, with blinding numbers in it. Uh, obviously, next to him, his strike partner, I'll have Timo Werner. Um, he scored 26 goals and provided eight assists for his teammates at RB Leipzig. Um, he has been excellent, had an amazing season and got a deserved transfer to Chelsea in it. Um, obviously, um, that's my 11. It's 4-4-2 team. Um, there are some honourable mentions in um, some positions, isn't it? Um, obviously, in midfield, um, one honourable mention, one brother who's done very well this season is Dennis Zakaria. Now, a lot of you men don't know him, but he's at Borussia Mönchengladbach. And if you look at him play, it's like Vieira, but a younger version of Vieira. Like, he's very tall, so it's kind of reminiscent of Yaya Toure a bit, you know. He's brilliant. He's been an absolute powerhouse in midfield this season, and he has been absolutely on fire. Uh, now, this honourable mention was harder, innit? Because there are, like, three players which I was trying to select out of, innit? Which one I was going to add to Dennis career. And it's one of them ones where um, it was Serge Nabry, um, Philip Kostic, and another brother, um, um, Christopher Nkunku, innit? I almost forgot Christopher Nkunku of RB Leipzig. And I picked Kostic, you get me? He's been one of the most underrated players in the Bundesliga creatively. Um, he's provided the most crosses in the Bundesliga into the box. Um, his playing style, he has a playing style. He's completed the second most dribbles in the Bundesliga as well. His playing style really reminds me of Hakim Ziyech, um, the new guy at Chelsea. Um, it's one of them ones where last year he had an amazing season. Um, he was linking up with the Trident, the attacking trio that Eintracht Frankfurt had last year of Jovic, Haller and Ante Rebic. And all of them have subsequently moved on. So it kind of makes it harder in it to create and therefore his numbers has dropped a bit. But he's still provided a good return, a respectable return of 15 goals and assists in 32 games in it. So it's one of them ones where he's just had to adapt to his teammates a bit and that's why his numbers have dropped. But he's a very, very creative brother. He's very, very good at creating. Um, yeah, so that's um, Philip Kostic. If you man don't know him, um, you, you man can watch him in the Bundesliga. He's a very good player. Um, yeah, in the striker role, you get me, um, I'll have Erling Haaland, the one and only Erling Haaland, get me, he's inevitable, you know I mean? that's all I have to say in it, the man is inevitable, no matter what you do, this guy will score, the only reason why he's not in the actual 11 is because it's a Bundesliga 11 of the season, and man has just played like three months of football in it, so I can't use that to kind of put him in there ahead of someone like Timo Werner and that, you get me? So it's one of them ones where Erling Haaland definitely is an honourable mention. Um, he's an absolutely crazy numbers. He's had absolutely crazy numbers. 
He's played 16 games in all competitions and scored 15 goals. You get me? It's a madness. He scored almost every 78 minutes. That is absolutely mad. You get me? That is an absolutely mad goal to game ratio. And yeah, that's Erling Haaland for you. I don't. I could wax Liverpool about him all day, but I'm not going to do that in it because I don't have that time. You get me? Another player who's been absolutely brilliant this season as a striker is Marcus Thuram. Now he's at Borussia Mönchengladbach. And he's the only player in the Bundesliga that's had three Player of the Month wins this season. Um, he's been absolutely brilliant, scoring or assisting 18 goals in 27 games. Um, I like the way that he also, he's very high pressing. You know, those strikers that buzz about and they press really high in order to force the defenders to make mistakes. And that's why he's been an integral part of Marco Rose's Mönchengladbach. Because when you're in Mönchengladbach, you have to press. You get me? The game-game pressing is ongoing at Mönchengladbach. Also, I think the defensive partnership of Sven Bender and Jonathan Tarr at Bayer Leverkusen have held their own in defence this season. Isn't it? Um, they've been doing well and I think they're in with a shout in my honourable mentions list uh, in the defence department. Isn't it? So yeah, that's the Bundesliga um, done. On Wednesday, that's last week, Wednesday, all kicked off in the Premier League. Man City and Arsenal played and Man City won convincingly 3-0. You get me? De Bruyne, imperious in midfield, providing an assist and scoring a penalty. And then Phil Foden got in on the act as well, scoring after Sergio Aguero had hit the post. Prior to that, there was the first game, you get me, it was the small amount of Sheffield and Aston Villa. But it quickly became into a big matter, you get me. There was a lot of controversy in that game. One of the most shocking decisions I've seen on a football pitch. We'll delve into that soon. But they drew nil-nil, innit? Um, obviously, on Friday, you get me, it was Norwich against Southampton. And Norwich got slapped 3 nil. Danny Ings, the start of the show, um, he scored and assisted. And then Nathan Redmond added to the goal tally to make it 3-0. And then came the big one on Friday night, Friday night football. It was United against Tottenham at the White Hart Lane. And it ended in a draw, a one-all draw. Steven Bergwijn opened the scoring with a very nice shot. And then Bruno Fernandes equalised with the with the penalty in it. And yeah, I'll discuss all the four games that were um, in on the midweek. Um, I'll discuss that before moving on to the ones that happened on the weekend. So yeah, let me get straight into it. I'll start with the Sheffield against Aston Villa game. Now this game, I thought I thought it was going to be a dead rubber game. I thought it was going to be a dead game in it. Um, it was just one of them ones where I just wanted to watch it because basically, like, it was the first kind of game after lockdown in it. So I just wanted to see how it was going to kind of look, uh, how the game was kind of going to look in it. Um, but yeah, it actually lived up to kind of the billing in a way, kind of, because there was controversy. I think, um, yeah, there was controversy and um actually dean henderson had to make a really good um, good couple of saves um the sheffield keeper aston villa had him on ropes but sheffield should feel very very aggrieved there was a decision yeah um it was very very controversial now it was a free kick and a sheffield um defender had the ball i think it was bulldog 
I'm not really sure on that, but I think it was Bulldog. And the goalkeeper saved it, but he was he saved it and it was in the net. The ball was in the net. Now, if you're a referee, yeah, and like you can literally see that the ball is over the line, then there's no need to use like goal line technology. If anything, goal line technology is kind of just to confirm what you see with your own eyes, isn't it? Like if you've seen something basically with your own eyes without really needing to use that, there's no need to kind of go to that as an excuse that ah, it wasn't there, so you get me, it didn't beep, so nah, it wasn't a goal. Like fam, if like big man thing, let me let me use this analogy. If you put your food in the microwave, yeah, and it doesn't beep and you can smell the food burning, you're still gonna leave the food in the microwave, fam. You're not. You're simply not in it. So it's one of them ones where if you see, if your sense of sight is there, there's no need for you to come and try and justify your error by coming out and saying that uh, the goal line technology watch never beeped, so it wasn't a goal. Fam, the, the man, the keeper literally had the ball in the net. It was over the line. Even the defender's arms in front of him was over the line. And the defender was standing right in front of the keeper. So if his arm is over the line, how much more the keeper fam? Get me? It was it was just really really peak and fam. I don't even understand how Sheffield didn't get a goal. Like if there was any way like to get retrospective action for that kind of thing, yeah. Like man, like Sheffield, they like they should go in it. They should go to the FA and fam because like it's a fuckery, fam. I'm not even like big man thing. It's just a fuckery. Man's not even gonna like um, sugarcoat it in it. Like, fam, the ball was literally in the net. I don't know how you can disallow a goal that everybody, if every, if there were fans in the stadium, everybody would have seen that there were, the ball was over the line. Like, it just does my head in. I don't understand it. But, like, it was one of them games where, yeah, that controversy overshadowed the game, obviously. But, um, yeah, like I said... Lee Henderson had to make a good couple of saves. In the end, it was a draw, nil-nil. But, like I said, like that controversial part, that's probably the worst refereeing decision, yeah, that I've seen in the Premier League. Nah, like, man needs to um, talk straight in it. Man needs to, like, cut less of the, uh, it wasn't his fault. Nah, fam, you can literally see the ball over the line. Like, it's, nah, 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 nah. It's the worst decision in the Premier League, from my opinion, in it. But let's get into the next game, and it was a um, it was City and Arsenal. Um, yeah, that was at um, seven fifteen GMT, eight fifteen British time, and yeah, um, City won three nil. Now in this game, um, it was one of them ones where Arsenal did were doing well. Um, the first 30 minutes, um, Xhaka left quite early due to injury. And, yeah, in the first 30 minutes, Arsenal were doing quite well. Um, you got the feeling that City were moving out of first gear. Um, they weren't really in their rhythm. And, you get me, it's lockdown, it's post-lockdown season, so you expect that. And, yeah, and also, if you look at it tactically, you could see that Arteta was, in a way, trying to mimic Guardiola, which isn't surprising because... It's like master and apprentice, isn't it? But the difference was that Guardiola had a ball-playing centre-back in a Laporte. And Arteta doesn't really have that. He doesn't have a defender who can play the ball out the back. 
So when that happens, it means that City can mark Guendouzi because the two defenders are basically playing long balls up to Saka and Nketia. And them man aren't getting onto those long balls. So it was one of them ones where it made it really easy for City to kind of nullify their threat. And if you look at it, um, it, Mari and it was Mari and Mustafi, and both of them was just pinging long balls. You get me? So it was one of them ones where in the first 30 minutes, Arsenal, it was like that kind of game where it was at slow tempo. But you could see that like, Arsenal weren't really going to create any chances because they were just pinging long balls up. If you're pinging long balls up, yeah, and like you see that City are playing a high defensive line, the best way or idea is to use Aubameyang's pace and then play long balls in behind the City defence, you get me? You can't just be playing up to Saka and Nketiah because when you do that, their decision-making is a bit flawed and that's not surprising. They're young, isn't it? So, you get me? Like It's not every like good ball that they're going to play into the box and that. So, you can't just be playing it up to them because then like it makes it easier for the City defence to kind of know the threat that you're going in it, the way that you want to approach the match in it. So, yeah, um, I think it was... And, yeah, like I said, um, City weren't really... They were just moving up the gears. And you could tell the from the 30th minute mark, um, from probably the time that David Luiz came on, you could tell that it was one of them ones where, like, City were just moving up the gears and they were getting ready to move into first gear. And when they did... They produced a lot of chances, especially from the like third, fifth minute going on. Um, Sterling had one where he should have scored, in my opinion. Mares had one. You get me. Um, obviously, Sterling redeemed himself with the goal. Um, that was at the death of half time, the last minute of half time. But um, yeah, Arsenal were very, very poor. And then in the second half, the David Luiz horror show resumed. A uh, man um, neededly conceded a penalty and got sent off and that was like very probably one of the worst individual performances i've seen um in the premier league ever to like come on as a sub and literally like get sent off within like almost it wasn't even half an hour so there that was very very peak for arsenal and this week in general has been peak for arsenal i'll get on to their game at the weekend but yeah like i said and then it just got pear-shaped for them man in it so um, then um, City just killed it off um, Aguero hitting the post And the rebound falling to Foden Who just tucked the ball in the net. Um, Obviously towards the end um, Eric Garcia um, suffered a severe concussion um, um, He had a collision with Edison The suit keeper, his teammate um, I don't know, a man like Edison Obviously thinks he's a WWE fighter Or something in it But <laughs> it is what it is um, So yeah, prayers up to him Hope he um, get to speedy recovery and we just hope for the best in it um no we don't want any serious injuries i don't think it was a serious injury but i think he'll be back he'll be back fit and yeah it was um a very surprising end to the game um it had like 11 minutes stoppage time and you get me it was just see just passing out of the time basically because it was like arsenal were already defeated at that moment in time in it so yeah i'll move on to the um, games on Friday it was um, Norwich against Southampton and Southampton slapped them man um, 3-0 um, Danny Ings looking red hot 
um, hit the crossbar, probably should have got a hat-trick in my opinion, but he got a goal and assist, um, he scored, um, Stuart Armstrong scored, and Nathan Redmond got in on the act to kill them off. Um, for me, the Norwich defence is very, 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 very poor. Their defending at times was appalling. Like, their mistakes, yeah, like, fam. They were passing the ball back to the keep, like, back passes were intercepted. Like, every mistake you can think of, fam. Like, the only person, yeah, who's probably Premier League level in that Norwich defence is Mac, um, uh, Max Aarons, the right back. Like, he's the only one apart from that. Them other three in the back four, like, they just waste men in it. Like, I have to call it out like it is. And, yeah, um, Cantwell and Bundia were the only ones trying to make something happen. Um, they were the only ones um, trying to at least create chances for Norwich. And, yeah, it was like it was very distressing for a Norwich fan. It was very distressing to watch. Because, like, them man were just all over the place, innit? Um, their defence was just at sixes and sevens at times. And, yeah, um, they look like they're done out here. They're going down to the championship. And, yeah, it is what it is. Um, obviously, I'll get on to the next game. Um, that was Tottenham against United. That was the big one. And when Oli put out his starting lineup, I was surprised um, at the defence. Because, look, because you know like, that you're not the one who's going to be sitting back. It's Mourinho who's going to be sitting back. So if you're out here playing Lindelof and Maguire... Like, two players who are very kind of slow, in a way. Like, you're going to get exposed on the counter, innit? That's what, like, basically Tottenham were there for. They were just to, they were just there to soak the pressure and kind of, like, counter. So if you have Maguire and Lindelof, like, it's basically an accident way to happen. You get me? Like, those two are slow. Like, you get me? Like, tortoise level slow. So, like... When you have that pairing and you don't, like, bring Bailey in instead of one of them, like, maybe Lindelof or something, like, it does raise the question, yeah, you want to attack, Tottenham sit back, they counter, it makes it very easy for them to counter, in it. And United haven't been their best at breaking down teams anyway. So it's, like, one of them ones where if Mourinho just employs a low block, it's very favourable to him. And that's what Mourinho did. And my United paid the price for that. In Bergwijn's goal, you saw Maguire's lack of pace, and Bergwijn just turned him inside out in it. To be fair, Bergwijn's my guy. Um, I've I've been keeping tabs on him since he was at PSV. Um, I saw him in a game against Barcelona, and like obviously Messi ripped them apart. It was in the Champions League. Messi ripped them apart, but Bergwijn was the highlight of them PSV and like um, he was really really good on that day. You get me? So. I had been seeing him, like, I had been seeing um, very good like, performances from him. And yeah, I wasn't surprised that he scored, to be fair, because immediately he got the ball and he was running up Maguire. I knew that it was going to get peak. I knew that things were going to get very, very peak. And he made sure they did. But um, United um, harried and harried and harried. And they, uh, finally the goal came. Um, Bruno Fernandes converting a penalty. Now, there was another penalty call which was quite controversial. Um, Bruno Fernandez diving um, with almost no contact. No, I can't even say almost. There was no contact. It was like as if Avatar Ang had somehow airbended Bruno's legs and he just fell down in it. That's how the situation looked. Like there was no contact, fam. I was screaming, fam. I was screaming at the telly more than Mourinho, fam, because like. 
it's one of them ones where even if I'm going to be biased in it, like, fam, that was not a penalty. Like, there's no way that was a penalty. You get me? As a referee, like, John Moss's competence is really, really, really on the floor right now, innit? Like, you can't be given that kind of penalty, fam. <laughs> you get me? Especially not in the last minute as well. And, yeah, it was that was very, very controversial. And it wasn't a penalty. It wasn't a penalty at all. Even um, Pogba's one, the one where Pogba um, fell down, even that one is debatable. Because, look... For Pogba's upper body strength, for him to fall down like that, you can tell there's a bit of theatrics involved in it. Look at if you man um, watch, if you man remember, there was a game. Um, it was in 2017, I think, or 2018. Um, um, United and Arsenal, the one where De Gea um, performed like 13 saves. Like man, like Pogba, like, just shrugged off Koscielny for Lingard's second goal. If you man don't remember, you can go and watch it on YouTube. You'll see what I'm talking about. He just literally shrugged off Koscielny. Now, if you have that upper body strength, you can't be telling me that, like, it was, there was contact, but you can't be telling me you can't stay up, innit? You can't be telling me that you can't overcome that challenge. Um, so, there was contact. I'm not saying there wasn't contact. There was contact, but that's what the modern game is becoming, it. The slightest contact, and people just want to fall down, in it. But, yeah, it's one of them ones that Bruno covered the penalty very well. And United got the draw. And yeah, Mourinho almost performed the smash and grab to perfection. And um, he got a point. Oli got a point as well. So over the weekend, um, the EPL resumed again. And on Saturday, the first match was Watford against Leicester. Um, it was a really cagey match, really cagey encounter. And yeah, it was livened up by the two late goals um Watford scored a late one and then Leicester equalized in the death so that was 1-1 um Arsenal against Brighton um that ended Brighton winning 2-1 um Arsenal have got a lot of problems now and things really really are getting peak for them now at this point um, Leno was withdrawn, had to be carried off due to an injury. We don't really know how um, long that injury is going to be for. But um, yeah, it was very, very Arsenal-like in terms of performance in it. Um, there was no grit, there was no resilience. Um, every time Brian got at them, they managed to get at them. And yeah, they Brian basically shithoused their way to a win. Uh, more pay, especially um, there was some altercations at the end between him and Gwendozi. Um, Gwendozi um, strang- almost strangling his neck. Um, I do think that Gwendozi will get suspended if the FA take a look um, in the direction of retrospective action. Um, but yeah, in general, it's really getting peak for Arsenal, and for me, that's their season done. Um, I don't think they'll be able to get to the Champions League spot. I think that's a too far away. I Maybe they could sneak in the Europa League, but even that is a big ask in my opinion. And these are just very, very dark times to be in if you're an Arsenal fan. Like, with the way I see um, with Arteta as manager, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Sorry, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Um, that's just my take on like how Arsenal are doing right now. Like, they're all over the place. 
the defense is a shambles um the midfield really isn't good enough and the strikers aren't getting enough service um due to a lack of creativity in it so it's just one of them ones where like everyone at arsenal is just not like up to the task anymore in it and worryingly their next game is against southampton now if i was an arsenal fan i'd be really really worried especially given the form of Danny Ings post-lockdown. In his first match, he scored and assisted and probably should have had a hat-trick and it was just a constant, constant menace throughout. Wolves also played. Um, they beat West Ham 2-0. Um, it was a very convincing performance and um, Raul Jimenez scored and Pedro Neto, who's on the Golden Boy nominee list, I'll talk about that later, um, he also scored and yeah, it was one of them good accomplished performances from Wolves that we've come to see and we saw again um, when they beat West Ham on Saturday. And again, um, the Jimenez and Traore combination is working really, really, really well this season. Um, Adama Traore has been a revelation this season and Wolves are probably going to get a European spot. Um, another match that happened was um, Bournemouth against Crystal Palace. Um, Crystal Palace won 2-0 with goals from Milejovic and um, Ayu, um, Jordan Ayu. Um, Zaha was at his um, best um, dribbling in terms of dribbling, in terms of worrying the opposition. And Crystal Palace did well. Um, they won away, but... Um, at Bournemouth, it started to get very, very, very peak for them right now. They're in a really dire predicament. Um, they're probably their most creative player now, um, Ryan Fraser. He's come out emphatically to say that he pretty much doesn't want to play. He's not signed a new contract either. So, yeah, things are not looking up for Bournemouth at the moment. And yeah, that's kind of all I have to say on that. The Premier League Super Sunday started with Newcastle against Sheffield United. Now, Sheffield had already drawn with Aston Villa on Tuesday, on Wednesday, no, sorry, on Wednesday, on the um, previous Wednesday. So they were looking for a win after they had been egregiously denied a goal. Um, I don't want to get back into that, get into my feelings over that. But, um, unfortunately, they lost 3-0. Alan Saint-Maximan scored the first goal. And then the other scorers were Matt Ritchie and Joel Linton got on the score sheet as well. Um, Joel Linton now, he hasn't scored in 301 days. So that's almost a year. And he just had to score in 2020, innit? Um, so that's added to the list of strange things that have happened in 2020. Um, one of Sheffield's defenders, Egan, also got a red card. And at times, um, Dean Henderson was just keeping them in the game. Um, Newcastle should have scored more. It could have scored more and probably should have scored more. And yeah. And Aston Villa and Chelsea played as well. Um, Aston Villa losing 2-1. Um... Aston Villa scored first through Courtney House and he's also released a joint, released a song, it was like um, late April and it was kind of to fund the NHS in the fight against coronavirus, it's called Worth It 
I'll be playing that at the end of the podcast so you man can deep whether it's calm or not in it. Um, yeah, obviously he scored against the run of play. Um, Chelsea were dominating. Um, they were in control of the game. But Aston Villa got the first goal against the run of play. Um, Chelsea did come back. They completed the turnaround. Um, Christian Pulisic, um, he came on Captain America. He managed to save them, spare them a lifeline, spare their blushes and that. And Olivier Giroud um, completed the comeback. And yeah, Chelsea were dominated and they were rewarded for their dominance in those two goals that they got in quick succession. Both assists by... um, Um, He provided two assists and Chelsea got the W. Um, The last game was a Merseyside derby between Everton and Liverpool. Um, It was quite a drab game. Um, but um, it got livened up late in the match. Um, Everton had a host of chances late, late, late in the game, and Everton should have won, in my opinion, should have took one of them chances. Um, from a Liverpool point of view, I think their standout player was Naby Keita. Um, I think he got out of the match for that game, and yeah, he was really buzzing throughout. He was really um, inventive in his passing. Um, you could tell he was trying to get on the ball and he did really, really well in that game. Um, obviously, um, there have been um, allegations directed against him, um, some rape allegations and that, but I will not be delving into that. That's not the point of discussion that I want to um, take myself in, in it. That's not the direction that I want to take this discussion in. So, less of that. And, um, yeah, on Monday... Um, Burnley got hit for five. Um, obviously, um, Foden was on the score sheet. Um, Mares also got a brace, and yeah, it was just a um, general scene, annihilation in it. Um, obviously, one of the um, moments that soured the game was a banner which was um, up in the stadium um, before they played the match. Um, Why it lives matter banner. Um, and that wasn't really kind of nice in terms of like the racial climate that we're in right now. Um, yeah, and it just kind of puts white people like in a derogatory position in it. And yeah, that game on Monday marks the end of game week 30. Um, we're in game week 31. Um, yesterday, um, games were played. Leicester drew nil-nil with Brighton, um, with um, Neil Morpé missing a penalty. Um, he's been the villain in Arsenal's eyes ever since the weekend. Um, he scored the winning goal against Arsenal and injured their goalkeeper, Leno. So he's been the villain in their eyes and it's just been a, um, a bit of banter between him and Arsenal fans, isn't it? Um, he missed a penalty, um, Kasper Schmeichel with the save. Um, the game was um, a bit dull um, Leicester were extremely insipid in that But um, yeah, the game like petered out And nothing really happened in the end in it. Um, obviously Tottenham also won 2-0 against West Ham um, It was an own goal and a Harry Kane finish Which decided it in the end um, They also had a goal disallowed by VAR Son with the goal at the stroke of half time, um, that was disallowed. Um, so now Tottenham are second in terms of 
the teams who have had the most goals um, chalked off by VAR in it. Um, with four goals chalked off this season, Southampton are the first with five goals chalked off. And yeah, um, they did what they had to do as an accomplished um, Tottenham performance. The football wasn't at its best, um, whether that's attributed to them getting into their rhythm due to lockdown um, or that being Jose's style where the football isn't that great anyway, I don't know. Um, Deli Ali in particular was poor, but it's his first game back and yeah, that kind of uh, match rhythm, um, you don't really get that in the first match, so... It's one of them ones where it was a bit normal than that. And yeah, Tottenham got the win in the end. Um, now we move on to the La Liga. Um, obviously, we start with Barcelona. Um, I think they've played three matches um, since I had my first episode. Um, they've, they beat Leganese um, 2-0. Uh, Messi scoring a penalty. And, um, yeah, Barcelona were very accomplished in that. Um, I couldn't really watch ma- much of that match, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, you got the feeling it was always going to be a Barcelona win. Um, the matches I watched were um, Barcelona against Sevilla and um, the one against Atletico Bilbao, which happened yesterday. Uh, let me start with the Sevilla one in it. Um, Barcelona drew nil nil with Sevilla, um, and Sevilla defended resolutely in it. Um, they also created the biggest chances, especially on the counter, and they shackled Messi quite well. And when you do that, obviously, you might already know there's probably close to like eighty percent of you getting a favourable result against Barcelona in it. Um, yeah, um, a bit of kind of petulance overshadowed that draw. Um, you get me, man like Messi, um, out here trying to audition to be in the UFC or WWE or something. You get me, um, he was involved in a fight and that, um, and yeah, that's you get me, like, not a good look if you're a Barcelona captain in it. Um, if it wasn't for the coronavirus, you get me, before the match, you'd be out here shaking the other other captain's hand um, to promote fair play and that, you get me? So just because coronavirus has come and you can't shake hands anymore doesn't mean that you can just like let go of fair play, innit? you get me? Um, I don't know if man thought he was Anthony Joshua or man thought he was flipping Evander Holyfield. I don't know if man thought it was Tyson Fury, you get me. Man had Fury in him when he was fighting, but it definitely wasn't Tyson, you get me. Um, on a real though, that shit had me sensed, didn't it? Like, fam, you're like literally the, if not the best player in the world, like close to that, innit? So, you know people are going to tackle you. No one is going to like let you kind of be like Moses and the Red Sea. And just part for you to just dribble your way through. Like, no one's going to do that. No defender is going to do that. You're going to get tackled. You're going to get provoked. It's part of the plan to kind of shackle you, in it. So if you kind of, like, respond to those provocations and that, then it means you've fallen for it, innit? And you get me? I don't think he'll get a suspension or anything, you get me? He's obviously the star of the league and that. 
um, them man are not out here trying to bring their revenue down so they'll probably let him off for that one and yeah but it was just petulant in it it was just very 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 petty and yeah big man thing man should not be doing that you get me you're the captain of Barcelona and yeah like I said you're out here promoting fair play and you're doing up fights man you get me it's not it's not a good look in it um, but less of that, um, I'll get into the second match they played against um, Atletico Bilbao. Now, they were struggling, fan Barcelona was struggling to create opportunities. Um, Griezmann in particular looked very, very dull, um, looked very, very uninspiring. Um, the tempo quickened yet me when um, rookie Puig and Ansu Fati came on. Um, those youngsters definitely made a difference. And it was just one of them ones where, in the end, Barca sneaked a 1-0 win to keep the pace. Um, and probably um, they're now three points ahead, but Madrid have a game in hand. And they're neck on neck at the top of the league. So that's an interesting title race. Um, Real Madrid um, just edging it now on head-to-head, um, seeing as the La Liga don't really use goal difference and that. So, yeah, it's an interesting league. And it's just left with a couple of matches and we'll see who wins the title in the end. Obviously, Madrid have also played um, two matches since last week. Um, they played against Valencia. Um, they won comfortably 3-0. And they were able to overcome Real Sociedad um, 2-1. And both of them, um, Karim Benzema on the score sheet, he was at the double against Valencia and grabbed a goal against Real Sociedad. Um, obviously, I'll start with the Valencia game. Um, Valencia were actually pressing Real Madrid a lot at the start. They had their man on ropes, and they did score a goal, which was disallowed by VAR. Uh, I think it was um, Carl Soler, if I'm not wrong. Um, but, yeah, their man had Real Madrid on ropes, and you get me, those lot have talented players and that. You get me? They have got um, Ferran Torres. Um, I'll speak about him later. They've got um, they've got a good, good attacking thing going on. They've got Denis Cheryshev. Um, he was the star at the 2018 um, Russia World Cup. Um, they've got Goncalo Guedes, who scored the winning goal in the UEFA Nations League final. I think that was last year in that. And, yeah, in general, they've got a good attacking line. So I wasn't surprised that they were attacking Real Madrid like that. It's, you have to know that those last two I mentioned, they were on the bench, innit? Cherishev and Guedes. So, you get me? The quality is up there and that. And, yeah, they had, like I said, they had, for the first, like, 30 minutes, they had Madrid on ropes. I think the goal was a wake-up call to Madrid and they started to control the game. Um, you get me? Obviously, Karim Benzema with the double. One of his goals was wonderful. Um, you man can go and look that up. Get me, and yeah, they uh, they really really dominated that game and won three nil. Um, also, since I was talking about Goncalo Guedes, you man have to go and check out his solo goal. Absolutely sublime, innit? Um, I think it was against Osasuna this weekend. Absolutely sublime thing, innit? Absolutely sublime football out here. Um, yeah, so they um like uh, let me divert back to Real Madrid. Um, they won three nil. And they followed that up with a 2-1 win against Sociedad. 
And again, there was VAR controversy. Um, Adnan Januzai, the former United player, um, scored with a long-range strike. And it was deemed that one of the players, one of his teammates, had interfered with the goal uh, by being in an offside position in it. And this one was open to debate because he never touched the ball. But he did distract um, Courtois from being able to save the shot, which I don't think he would have, but that's part of the laws and that. Um, so, yeah, it was chalked off by VAR, which was a bit controversial in some people's eyes. And, yeah, like I said, um, um, Ramos also converted a penalty. And um, Karen Benzema, again, in a good, good run of form. Um, he's been really, really underrated as a kind of striker um, in Real Madrid in recent years, ever since Cristiano left. I think he's played 80 matches, and he's in 82 matches that that is, and he's in, been involved in 70 goals. So you get me? He's not He's not like he's replaced Cristiano totally, no one's saying that, but he's done his part in it. He's tried to cover adequately for those goals that they've missed. And... Yeah, like I said, um, the league is shaping up to be a very, very interesting one in La Liga, isn't it? So, yeah. Sociedad um, came into the game strongly, though, in the dying embers. Um, they got goal to kind of um, um, get the two, get the consolation and that. And you get me? They were really, really pressing Madrid in the dying embers. Their man had Sergio Ramos wasn't on the pitch and it was starting to look like Sociedad could actually sneak a draw. In the end, Madrid held on and now they're relatively like level on points with Barcelona if they win their game that they have in hand now. And yeah, that gave them a very good chance to win the league at this stage. Um, and they have the league in their own hands now, innit? Obviously in Italy, um, it kicked off, the Serie A kicked off again. Um, Atalanta, um, they got a 4-1 victory um, and they have been very, very free scoring in particular this season. Um, they've scored like 70, it's almost getting to 80 goals in 26 games. They're the highest scorers in the Serie A. And um, Duven Zapata, um, their star striker, has been phenomenal this season. Um, he's been involved in 21 goals. Um, in just 20 matches that he's played this season, um, scoring 14 and setting up 7 assists. So yeah, Atlanta, um, they look very free scoring. Um, um, Joseph Ilcic and Shiro Immobili, um, they look like men who've been possessed, you get me? Possessed with the art of creating and scoring goals. And you get me? These are the same man who had Pep Guardiola calling Kyle Walker to be a goalkeeper in it. That's how peak it got for Pep. You get me? So, at Salanta, they're not pushovers and that. Now, before all of this Serie A drama and that, you get me? Um, Napoli won the Coppa Italia um, on penalties. And I think that was on Wednesday and that. It was a nil-nil draw. Um, a, a cagey encounter and that. Um, with Juve being very, very lacklustre. You get me? Mediocrity and that. But um, Napoli won the thing. Um, won on penalties. And Gattuso, you know, Gattuso, you man remember him. If you remember him, then you get me again, old and that. But um, he won his first trophy at the expense of Sari. 
Um, so sorry, former club winning the trophy at the expense of the now Juventus manager. Um, I like all from ev- every single department that Juve had, everyone was shocking in it. Like, fam, the, the game itself wasn't really that. You get me? It was a bit, it was better to watch paint dry at times, innit? So, yeah, the game wasn't really that nice to watch, in fairness, but. You get me? The players that Juve fielded, they could have done better in it. Um, yeah, it was a very, like, like I said, it was a very lacklustre performance in that. Obviously, they did redeem themselves a bit on Monday, um, winning 2-0 at Bologna. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo with a penalty. Um, obviously, that means normal services resumed after he kind of uh, missed one in the Coppa Italia semi-finals against AC Milan. Um, Dybala also scoring a wonderful goal, um, a sublime piece of technique and um, Juve got the job done in the end and they're now top of Serie A um, leading Lazio by four points and Lazio have to play Atlanta um, this midweek and that is going to be a very, 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 very good game. Um, I don't really know that, I can't say that because everything's changed due to lockdown but in general it's going to be a very very good game get me Atalanta are the league's highest scorers and Lazio the best team you get me now I know you man are going to say oh the table doesn't lie in that but sometimes it doesn't it Juve have been very very mid this whole season and Lazio have been better in it that's why Lazio are one point behind them and they have Juventus to play in the upcoming matches you get me so it's one of them ones where for me Lazio have been better and yeah that's gonna be a crack of a match Lazio and Atlanta which is today if I'm not mistaken in it so yeah like I said that's gonna be a crack of a game and yeah okay so in other news the Champions League is back the Champions League has returned the Premier Club competition has returned and it's gonna be held in Lisbon, they've dubbed it the final eight project. It will start on August 12th, but the second legs, which have yet to be played, will be played on 7th or 8th of August. And yeah, there's um, the matter of Barcelona and Napoli's second leg. There's cities against Real Madrid's and there's Bayern's against Chelsea's. Um, some of these ties are done and dusted in my opinion, um, namely the Bayern-Chelsea one. I don't see Chelsea being able to come back from that 3-0 defeat. Um, City and Madrid's tie is still a dicey one. It could go either way. Um, Barcelona and Napoli's as well. However, I do think um, Barcelona will advance. Um, with Lionel Messi in this vein of form, if he continues that into August, I don't think Napoli stand a chance. Um, and yeah, I do think um, my favourites. Um, now let me go back to the directives that UEFA have kind of put out there. Um, they've, like I said, they've dubbed it the final eight project. Um, it's going to be held in Lisbon. Um, there will be no. Quarter, uh, quarterfinal second leg there will be no semi-final second leg it would be a world cup knockout style tournament um, where it's one match um, you go to extra time you go to penalties in the event of a draw 
And yeah, the one who wins the penalties wins. So that's how it's going to be. Um, the final will be on 23rd of August. And like I said, like I was saying, I was saying earlier, the favourites, in my opinion, are Bayern. Um, Bayern Munich. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, namely the fact that they have an attacking dimension which is varied. They have varied ways of attacking. They can attack through Alfonso Davies' pace um, on the counter on the counter attack. Um, they have, like I said, they have Alfonso Davies. They have Serge Gnabry, who's also very fast on the counter. They have um, the ability, the players to head a ball in, in that event. Maybe there's a cross. They have the players to head a ball. They have Thomas Muller. They have Lewandowski. They have very tall players, Goretzka. Um, and they have also the trickery of Serge Gnabry. Um, that's also an attacking um, line that they can go through. And yeah, the attacking uh, attacking options are varied. And they have, in the midfield, they have um, Kimmich and Thiago, who are very good ball keepers. These players are both Guardiola's products, in quotes. So they know how to keep the ball if they want to. There And all these elements were shown in their 3-0 demolition of Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, You saw um, Alfonso Davies' pace in the run-up to Lewandowski's goal. Um, You saw the trickery of Serge Nambri in his two goals. You saw um, Thomas Muller, um, he headed the ball, hit the crossbar, you saw that chance. So, like I said, all the elements of attacking that I stated earlier were present in that defeat. And that makes them very, very hard side to beat and a very fearsome side. Um, Barcelona would be my second favourite, but they're only second because their attacking options and their attacking patterns are very one-dimensional. Their attacking patterns and play are very one-dimensional. Um, it's basically Lionel Messi or nothing else. And that over-reliance could be their stumbling block in order to win the competition, in my opinion. Because if Messi is not on it, it means that they've been basically all the other men have become useless. That's basically what it means. And that's not a very good plan to have because Messi is almost always on it. He almost always has a good game. But in the extremely rare case that he doesn't, it then makes you um, vulnerable to being got at and being targeted and it makes you vulnerable to lose so yeah that's why uh, Barcelona are my second favorite the dark horse of the competition in my opinion is Paris Saint-Germain basically because same way the Barcelona are now immune somehow to second leg comebacks that's the same way that PSG are now immune to second leg comebacks so it makes it harder for them to bottle it, both those clubs to kind of bottle it because there's no second leg. Um, another factor is the fact that the French league has been cancelled prematurely and therefore that grants them, the players, enough rest and they'll be fit and raring to go when the Champions League re- resumes. So it does give them an advantage over all the other teams and that trident of Neymar, Mbappe and Icardi when all of them are firing on all cylinders, that's a very fearsome trident to face. And so, yeah, my dark horse in this competition is PSG. 
um, City if they win against Madrid. Either of them win. Are also in with a shout of going far in the competition and winning it. So, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting competition now. Um, Juventus, uh, I'm skeptical as to whether they can actually go far in this competition. Even if they do beat Leon and advance, I think the other teams are an are a level above for me, are an echelon above. Um, the only club they would be able to probably beat is Leipzig. And Leipzig aren't a very kind of... And they're not pushovers. It's not like Leipzig are bad. Because you look at the spine of the team. They have Upmenkano, who's at the heart of the defence. He's a very good central defender. Um, they've got very good attacking options in Forsberg, Emil Forsberg, um, Danny Olmo and Christopher Nkunku who has become a revitalized person since he left PSG. So, yeah, and this is all behind Timo Werner, who has become striking sensation this year. So it's not like Leipzig are pushovers. That's a very good team that's been put out there by Julian Nagelsmann. So, like I said, Leipzig aren't... They're the four guys. They're the weakest team, yes. Um, it win the quarterfinals, definitely. But they're no pushovers. They could shock some teams out there. So that's a wrap on the Champions League. Oh, and I almost forgot. Um, Timo Werner has signed for Chelsea for a fee of £47.5 million. And um, that's what they're going to pay up front. There are various add-ons. And yeah, he will link up um, with Chelsea at their Cobham training ground in august which therefore um almost kind of makes him exempt from participation in the champions league in rb leipzig's campaign and it does significantly weaken them it significantly um, drops their chances um of having a run in this year's champions league um they have a backup striker paulson but at this level, he's not good enough in my opinion. And even in Paulson's case, he's out injured long term. So he's not really going to feature. Which leaves them with only one recognised striker, um, Schick. And they can um, experiment with the false nine. Maybe um, use Lookman or um, all the other attacking players in that role. So yeah, that leaves them in a very dire predicament and probably yeah makes them the weakest team in the quarterfinals. Yeah. So um that's the Champions League done. So last week um Tuto Sport um released a list of the um most promising young players under 20 and that's also known as the golden boy award now tour sport is a very popular italian newspaper and they released a short list now i can't even say short list there's like literally 100 players in it so it's like it's like a long list um yeah they decided to release a list of 100 players who are nominees for that award um it comprised of um names like um, Jaden Sancho, Ansu Fati, Erling Haaland, Mason Greenwood, Vinicius Jr., um, 
Gio Reyna, um, Tafiku's a cold Kubo, um, yeah, and a lot of others, Billy Gilmore, Callum Hudson-Odoi, um, James Garner, Gabriel Martinelli, and yeah, in general, we had a lot of names, so yeah, um, there's a lot of talent out there, if you, if you actually, like, look and kind of, like, scout these players, there's a lot of talent out there. Two of the most um, surprising omissions from that list um, was um, Joshua Zerksy. Now, he's a striker at Bayern, but he's got um, limited playing time and that's not really surprising. I mean, um, he's kind of below the pecking order and the best striker in the world is in front of him in terms of that pecking order, innit? So it's hard for him to get playing time. But the few minutes that he has got, he has delivered. He scored his um, first Bundesliga goal with his first shot on target. So it does surprise me that he's um, been left out of this list. Another one who's been left out, which is a bit surprising, is um, Jude Bellingham. Now, he's at Birmingham and he's been immense this season. He's a very good ball carrier in the midfield. And he's been linked with Manchester United and Borussia Dortmund, who are probably now the kind of safe haven for youngsters at this point because of how they kind of develop youngsters now. And yeah, it was surprising that those two were omitted from the list. But at the same time, um, yeah, to those both, they've done a good job. And yeah... Um, I'll be listing my top 10 and then, um, I'll get into five players who are destined for the top, but you man probably don't really know. Um, yeah, I'll be listing those. Um, so you can go check out their videos and go and scout them properly and kind of like see, yeah, see what the future talents have to offer. The favourites for this award are Jaden Sancho and Erling Haaland, both of who have been doing very well at Dortmund. Um, a lot of people seem to think that Haaland's going to win it, but uh, my personal favourite is Jaden Sancho. Um, he was second last year to Joao Felix, and he has upped his level a notch this year. He's progressed, he's matured and his numbers speak for himself in it. So I do expect Jalen Sancho to win. I'd be surprised if he didn't, especially due to his contribution last year. He was second in that. So he's carried it on. He's bettered that performance. So you do expect him to be first. Um, another player um, who's been kind of hyped up um to kind of be a potential winner in this award is Ansu Fati. Um, the Catalan media have hyped him up um, and he's actually done very, very well, to be fair. Um, he's got a goal or assist every 87 minutes. So he's actually done pretty well for Barcelona in the few minutes that he's been able to be on the pitch. And yeah, he's actually really, really good. But I don't think the you can compare him to people that are playing Reek and Reek out in it. Um, I don't think he's... He will, he may get it in future years, but I just don't think it's his time in it. And, yeah, I, I, if he does get this award, it would be a surprise because 
even in his in his age group, there are more talented people. But it's just one of them ones where Barcelona, the club that have given him um, more opportunities in it. Because at 16, a lot of clubs don't give you that opportunities. There are more talented people out there, I'm telling you. Because I even know one. Um, I'll get into that. He's been one of my five promising players that I was going to tell you about. So, yeah. Um, he's honestly fact he's done well, don't get me wrong. But I just don't think it's time yet, in it. So, my top 10 um, of the Golden Boy nominees in no particular order is um, Vinicius Jr., um, Mason Greenwood, um, Jaden Sancho, um, Sandro Tonali, um, Phil Foden, um, Erling Haaland, um, Alfonso Davis, um, Ryan Shirky, and Jonathan David. So, out of the 10 I've mentioned, um, I think there are a lot of household names in there but um i think the um uh, i think there are like three players that are less well known and i'll discuss them um i'll discuss their strengths um so yeah it's um Ryan Shirky, Tonali and Jonathan David i don't think a lot of you man know those players um Sandra Tonali has been an absolutely phenomenal player at Brescia um which is in Italy um if you're looking for like a midfielder who's like under twenty one, like with real quality, um, he's the probably the second one you'd go to. The first one probably be Kai Havertz, but after him, like is Tonali's like the lead of the pack in it. Um, yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant. His passing range is absolutely phenomenal. And yeah, if you man haven't watched him, just go watch him at Brescia. He rarely gives bad performances. He's always on the ball, always looking to find the right pass. Um, yeah, Jonathan David as well. He's again in the Belgian Pro League and he's been on fire. Um, he's played 27 games and he's been involved in 26 goal or assists, which is almost like a goal or assist every game, isn't it? I know it's the Belgian Pro League and you man are going to say, ah, oh, it's like a farmer's league and that. You get me? But numbers are numbers. You get me? Numbers don't lie in that. So, yeah, he's been really, really good. He's proved himself. And, yeah, that's why clubs are interested in him, innit? So, it's just one of them ones where, even if it is a farmer's league and that, you get me, the reason why players are signed from those leagues is just to replicate that kind of form, innit? And just to take it up a notch in the more glamorous leagues and that. Um, obviously, I'll get on to another brother, very, very talented brother, Ryan Shirky. He's at Leon. Um, he's 16 years old. That's why I was saying he's in the same age group as Ansu Fati. And in my opinion, this brother is more talented than Ansu Fati, even though Ansu Fati has got more opportunities to play in it. Um, Ryan Shirky, if you've watched him, yeah, it's like Hazard and Hatton Ben Arthur dribbling at you. Like That's how he dribbles, and it's absolutely magnificent to watch. Like He's been really, really cold at times in it. Um, yeah, um, he um, for me, he's just destined for the top and he's been brilliant. Um, I watched him against, um, it was against PSG, I think. It was like, um, he came on for the last, like, I think, five minutes or something and he terrorised their defence. He has really, really good direct dribbling style and I rate that brother, innit? I just really, really rate that brother. And that's my top 10. You get me, um, shout me on the socials if you have a different point of view, different opinion and that. Uh, but yeah, let me get into my five promising players. Um, obviously, I'll start with Karamoko Dembele. He's been at um, Celtic 
and there's been a lot of hype around him, get me? And that's not even a fault of his, get me? The man was out here playing under-20s when he was 13, fam. Like, that's the level, in it? And I know Celtic isn't really, like, one of those clubs where they have immense group of talent that you can't really, like... It's one of them ones where, like, you can't shine or something, you get me? But he's been massive, he's been immense Celtic, and for me, he has a really, really good future ahead of him. Um... I'll move on. Mohamed Ihatun, he's been awesome at PSV Eindhoven. Um, he's been brilliant over there. Um, he's really, really, really talented. Um, he's a winger and he's really, really talented. Um, yeah, another another one I'd like to talk about is Ferran Torres. He's at Valencia and I have watched a few games of his. Um, he's a very direct winger. You know those wingers? where they go um, to the byline and get a crossing. He's one of them wingers, you get me? And those kind of wingers have been in short supply in football, fam. Not going to lie, you get me? It's almost like they've gone extinct. Everybody's out here doing up inside forwards. You look at Liverpool and they have man like Sadio Mane and Mo Salah, who aren't even like wingers in it in the attack and that. So, yeah, it's one of them ones where they're in short supply. But I think Ferran Torres is probably the last of a dying breed, isn't it? Um, he's very, very good. He has a penchant of kind of cutting inside and getting a good diagonal ball into the box for the strikers. Um, he really, I've seen him do that quite a few times. And yeah, he's just a very, very good direct winger. He's fast, um, so that's really, really good when Valencia get counter-attacks. He's probably more at the heart of it. And yeah, um, for me, he deserved to probably be in the top 10. For me, he's one of them ones, but it's just the level of competition in that category, isn't it? So, yeah, here's what is. Um, I'll move on to William Saliba. Um, he's a very good defender. He was at Saint-Étienne in France. Um, he got transferred to Arsenal last year, I think, but he just stayed on loan at Saint-Étienne a bit. Um, he's a very good, calm, ball-playing defender. He's really, really short on the ball. And I think that's what Arsenal needs in their defence. So, yeah, he's been extremely good for Saint-Étienne. And yeah, he's one to watch in my opinion. Another player that I am one to watch is Eduardo Camavinga. Now he's at Stade Rennes in France and he's been really, 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 extremely, really good. He's been really good in defensive midfield, a really combative midfielder. And he's been good so much at the extent that he's got um, Real Madrid bidding for him. And yeah, he's for me, he's getting top 10. Um, how I forgot to put him in my top 10, I will never know. But it's just the level of competition in there, isn't it? Like, it's just one of them ones. So if you, man, haven't seen him, like, go watch him. He's really, really good on the ball tackling. He's a really, really strong mid uh, midfielder and that. And, yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant for Ren. And, yeah, that's a wrap on the Golden Boy Award um, nominees. Um, yeah, that's basically it. So I'll just be wrapping up the podcast and um, I'll be um, giving my, get me, nominees for Waste Man of the Week. Now, Waste Man of the Week is a kind of little award thing where, like, we kind of, I can't say reward, but, like, we condemn the person in football who's kind of um, done a bad, done something bad, whether it's an action or an inaction in it. And... Yeah, so I'll start with the nominees. Um, obviously, the first one, you man already know, um, the referee who took charge of the Sheffield and Aston Villa game. 
um, absolute, absolute shocking scenes out there that he was doing. Um, obviously, John Moss has to be in there as well. Um, that penalty, the second one, um, absolutely kind of egregious refereeing. Um, um, obviously, I have to put Messi in there. You get me? Man's doing up WWE fights. You might as well get him in Royal Rumble at this rate. Uh, you, have, you have to have uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, obviously, he's been very, very. Uh, they. He's been very appalling in kind of recent matches, and he's not really done anything wrong to be fair. But he's just been that bad in it to get into this kind of category, and it's peak because it's twenty twenty year, and. These man, these two man, these two goats are in this kind of like little award thing. You get me? So that's how you know 2020 is moving mad. You get me? Um, obviously, after that, um, yeah, I don't think there were any other kind of um, quote unquote villains um, in this week of football in it. So yeah, obviously, um, you can hit me, shout me which one you think. Um, like did the worst kind of thing in football this week. Um, obviously, um, like I said, I'll be wrapping up. Um, so I'll just make a few blanket statements in it that were like kind of uttered in the world of football this week. Uh, man, like Rooney, you get me, the Man United legend Wayne Rooney. Now he said, um, Liverpool could have a dynasty as successful as Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson. I'm not going to discuss these statements, you get me, um, you get me, I'm running out of time and that, but a manager's going to make these statements and kind of bounce in it. So you man, you listeners can decide whether that um, those statements are kind of erroneous or not in it. Um, obviously Rooney again said the Salah, Mo Salah, was at the is performing at the same level as um Cristiano Ronaldo was. He said he's starting to do what Cristiano Ronaldo was doing for Manchester United. Another statement that I won't discuss, and I'll give the listeners an opportunity to think of whether um, that statement is correct or not. Um, another statement. Um, Mourinho said in his press conference that um, during the Man United and Tottenham game, um. Kane, um, Anthony Martial and Kane were playing at almost the same level. Um, like I said, again, I won't discuss that. Yeah, and I think in general, that's a wrap, isn't it? Um, obviously, United have got a game on Wednesday. Um, the big game in the EPL is um, Chelsea against Man City. And I would have liked to preview that one and that, but is what is times running out. Um, and yeah, how, um, like I said, I'll probably be playing um, Courtney House's song. Um, he goes by Quartz on Spotify. You can, you man can go and um, stream that. And that um, he has a stage named Quartz. Um, the song is called Worth It. Um, you man can stream it if you want to kind of like fund the NHS and that. You get me in the fight against coronavirus. Um, and yeah. I'll be playing a preview of that song, a snippet in that, you get me, um, to kind of close out the show. And obviously, thanks for listening. And yeah, just have a great week and keep safe in it.
So this has been episode two. Get me? Um, I'm done, and this is just a song to close the thing out. Get me? Wrap it up. Um, peace, love, and get me? Keep your spirits high. Get me? Don't give up. <laughs>